Hi, good morning, everyone. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh here in Hiroshima, and today I'm joined by Remy Lopez in between Osaka and Kyoto, you said, huh? Yes, that is correct. I live in Suita City, a small place where the very first uh, Asahi beer factory was built, actually. And uh, today we're talking about uh, Remy's travel adventures and uh, some of your backstory as well for people who don't know how you got started in Japan. Sure. Uh, so maybe let's start there. I heard in a really interesting interview, you did a podcast, a Lost Without Japan podcast, oh. and you were talking about uh, how you ended up coming to Japan. You were in business school in France. Yeah. Uh, you have a French and Spanish background. Is that right? Tell us a little bit. That is correct. Uh, well, I lived all my life in France, but uh, long story short, my family on my father's side is actually Spanish. But my father never lived in Spain because during the war, the, the Spain war, uh, you know, Franco and everything. Well, uh, his family had to run away as, and they went down to Morocco as refugees. And my father was, in that case, originally born in Casablanca. Uh, he grew up there for a few years, and uh, then they decided to move up north, which was France. And so we, our family used to live in south of France, like around um, Marseille, Nice, or around that area. Oh, nice. I've actually been to Casablanca many years ago. Uh, I've been to Spain and France as well. So do you speak Spanish as well as French? I used to speak, uh, let's say, a decent Spanish for my age without... I've never been taught like natively. My father never did, which is why actually a huge loss when I realized I had the potential to be bilingual uh, naturally and he never spoke to me in Spanish. So I had to learn. And until I was like, 15, 16 years old, I could speak a decent Spanish because we used to come to Spain sometimes to visit the family. But uh, I lost it completely. When people speak Spanish, I understand quite, let's say, a reasonable volume. But I always English comes first. <laughs> That's so interesting. And then when you came to Japan, you came as an English teacher. Is that right? Well, that's also a very weird thing. And um, I'm pretty sure my... But, but my, you, my, were, you were English teaching for a while, right? I, I was, I was. But I came, my, uh, my English skills were not that good to be very, you know, fluent. Uh, I had the knowledge, but I didn't have the skills because it's what's usually the... Uh, it's the most common problem you have at school. You study the theory, but you don't have any time to practice out of the classroom. So, yeah, basically when I came to Japan, I couldn't speak a word of Japanese. Uh, let's be honest, nobody could speak French, of course. So the English was my only way out and uh, the, the best, the, the easiest solution to find a way to communicate efficiently as fast as I could. And so during the first six months of my life in Japan, I used to study the Japanese theory in the morning, then just going out and meet a lot of people and practice English all day. And at night, I was just practicing, uh, you know, practicing Japanese for the price of a beer, which is the best uh, life language experience ever. I love that advice. Just go to the local bar, have a beer and chat with everybody and exactly. uh, practice, get great practical in real life practice. I love that. <laughs> Exactly. A lot of Japanese are not willing to try to talk to you in the first place because they are afraid of failing so much that they don't. That they'd rather not try instead of being maybe embarrassed. But if you do take the first step, they will be extremely nice and welcoming you and just trying to talk to you because they see you're trying as well. Awesome. 
Uh, one other thing I thought was really interesting, uh, you were talking about being in business school in France, yeah. and you uh, introduced an idea about samurai philosophy for business, mm -hmm. and your teacher was telling you, you really have to go to Japan. This is amazing. <laughs> yes, I was a management philosophy teacher, and... Um, he told me like, okay, Remy, uh, it looks like you you have a kind of a an interest about that. Why, why don't you write an essay and uh, about management philosophy and uh, well, give it to me. So now it's not <laughs> it's not really the best uh, person I ever take example of, but my subject was Carlos Ghosn and uh, how he represents the modern day samurai, how to apply the the precepts, the philosophy precepts of samurai in the modern days in the business, in, in, the, uh, in the modern industry, actually. How to behave like a samurai. And he was called himself by another newspaper, I don't remember the name, but he was called uh, the modern day samurai as well. He was the highest paid CEO, the highest paid foreign CEO in Japan, uh, which I guess there was a reason why he was paid that much. Uh. I've heard that before, actually, that um, there is the, the Bushido or the, the samurai etiquette uh, yes. really does play into Japanese business a lot. So I, I'm sure great. that was a, a great background and a way to start your own business. So let's let's talk about your business a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I want to start with the Ego Tours because oh. a lot of us who work in tourism are really struggling through COVID. Um, as a language teacher, it seemed like a great way to transition to keep your tourism business alive, but focus more on the domestic Japanese market, right? That's Tell us cool. a little bit about Ego Tours. Absolutely. Uh, well, everything started in 2020 when, uh, well, everything stopped coming to Japan. The inbound was closed. Uh, Japan was closed for three years, but the 2020 was extremely rough for a lot of companies. And in the end, I knew that nobody would come anytime soon. So I wanted to find a way to, um, how can I say that, to get, get a, a first uh, foot in the domestic market. But I knew, I mean, it, w it would make sense that why would Japanese agree on a foreigner guiding them and showing them around in their own country? It doesn't make any sense. Most people would say, you're a foreigner why would you show me my own country? It's not really attractive, you know? Not, nobody would say, oh yeah, I would like to do that. No. So what I decided is to develop like a semi-guided um, activity where people would uh, build up teams, sign up as teams. They would come with their own team already. They would have uh, different documents with uh, three different parts, uh, regrouping some uh, video watching activities, listening, reading, some exercises. Uh, what did you understand from the, from the text, from the video? You would have support. Then some hints to listen to, to find the staff waiting for you somewhere in a city uh, in English with a, a little bit of, um, of Japanese help or English help through line, of an automatic line assistant that would give you a hint if you struggle with an emergency phone number uh, that you can call if you're really struggling, if you're stuck to make it possible for you to move forward, even though you're not, maybe you're struggling too much and you want to move on. But the key of that activity is to turn an area or 
an itinerary into an English-speaking environment. Even if you don't leave Japan, you can stay in Japan and you join with your team like if you were in a foreign country where nobody else speaks Japanese. Um, that's actually something I was extremely pleased about because we did some um, test runs. Of course, we cannot uh, start something like this uh, overnight. So in the first place, especially for marketing purposes and to sell this activity to Japanese companies, I realized, first of all, that the way you market things in foreign countries and in Japan are very different. Uh, Japanese are like to be assisted and to do nothing on their own. They like to go to a travel agency and to say, I want to do that. What do you have for me? Then they come up with a plan, with a, with a package. And if they take it, well, that's all good. Otherwise, they say, yeah, I want something else. Fine. What about this? They just want something on paper they like and that's it. They don't do any research. So my biggest surprise was most Japanese I talk to don't even know the name TripAdvisor, which is very, very uh, surprising. Uh, so instead of going through direct booking on the website, which, uh, of course, until now even didn't work because Japanese wouldn't look for anything on their own, I started to uh, target travel agencies and to focus that activity on Shuga Kuryoko that you must be familiar with, basically the school trips. Um, now Japan to Adventure is a pending member of the NARA Board of Tourism. So I was introduced by a member of the bureau to let that, that person recommended me and my activities so I would be part of it. Thanks to that, we started to think about how we can integrate those uh, experiences in the domestic market, um, especially through travel agencies, like national travel agencies. And a few months ago, I had a big meeting with the uh, GR Nihon Yoko, and they loved it, but it's going to take a long time until they accept to integrate such a big uh, experience in their catalog, and they will do some test runs. They want to invite like dozens of people to see if we can handle the number because as you know, uh, a school trip is not by the dozen, it could be by the hundred. So that's a very promising product. And uh, for marketing purpose, we also produce, um, you know, those kind of books. Uh, you, you saw it, uh, the first few pages on the website, and those actually are all done. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah, and like like you said, also for being part of the tourism board, uh, these kind of relationships they take time. You have to build up trust slowly over time. Yes, um, but this you is have to be very this patient. is yeah, this is definitely something that's very needed and mm. desired. And uh, I was working as an educator for most of my career in Japan. And I did many of these things for my students, but we really need experts outside of the universities who are in the travel industry and who understand the educational needs as well. So I think you're you're hitting those two targets that are, are hard to hit in Japan. Mm, so. Trying, yes. Uh, because I, I am not like a university teacher, uh, I actually uh, collaborated with a, a friend of mine who is a university teacher to actually check the book, which is why there are two names on the book, uh, mine and uh, my friend as well, who uh, who did a great job checking everything to make sure that there, there was absolutely no problem. Even the syntax, everything he checked and, it, and he adapted it to make sure that it was a um, native level, but not too complicated. So those kind of activity would be probably 
reachable from high school for sure, maybe junior high, if uh, it's not the standard public junior high, you know, if it's slightly more, more international a little bit and want to practice uh, English. But also what made everybody laugh but worked perfectly is this small badge. As you can read in Japanese, I mean, in English, it's, it's written, please speak English, thank you. But in, in Japanese, it's, re it's written, I can only speak English. <laughs> so even if That's great. We did test run with that. And of course, every volunteers who joined the activity, like, and they had a, a great time, they were laughing out loud when, yeah. when we, we gave them their badges. But then we realized, because we checked on them, we were not following them, but we were just having, a, you know, checking on them time to time. And in the book, you have an interview part where they have to talk to strangers. They have to break the wall of, um, it's, it's not shame. They it's have to like actually a, use it in real life. It's exactly. not just a textbook exercise, right? It is um, not. I, I remember giving uh, badges similar to students when we would do uh, workshops on location, uh, tourism business students, to get them to practice communicating and guiding like on a very workshop level mm -hmm. and then I gave them badges that say I speak English my name is welcome or hello my name is I speak English and they didn't want to wear it they tried to hide it you know <laughs> but then the ones who realized how fun it was and what a great chance to communicate and yeah. To really learn about tourism in a person-to-person -person connection, which is what we want. Yes. We want people to engage. It has to be challenging and we have to break that wall of, you know, embarrassment before trying. You must just overcome that fear and try to take the first step, which is why doing this, it was actually very fun to watch because every volunteer were Japanese, not foreigners. It wouldn't make any sense. But they were asking people on the street in Nara during that activity. And because it was late 2021, we didn't have many foreigners around, so most people were Japanese anyway. But that was very fun because when um, uh, walkers were stopped by uh, the volunteers to try to interview people, they were reading right away. They, were, they, they spotted every single time the badges. And some people were like, oh, sorry, no English. But people they were talking to were Japanese, but they had no ID because of the badge. And it worked perfectly flawlessly. Oh, Anyone who was willing to try started to speak English and didn't even think for a second to speak Japanese to our guest, which was great because that little badge turned Japanese into English speakers directly, even if they were not our guests. They were just people walking on the street because they were doing our, their best as they saw that officially they cannot speak Japanese. That's awesome. And then you also, I don't know if you're continuing this now, but were you sending people from Japan to France as well? Uh, or you were thinking about that? No. No, 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 we've never oh, done okay. that. Uh, I, uh, I, I, You've uh, got enough on your plate in Japan, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, for now, it's just focusing on inbound. Out, yeah, yeah. Outbound, we need a, a proper license to send people overseas. That would, be, that would make us a proper travel agency, which we are not. Uh, as we provide um, guided experiences up to one day. Yeah, 
I have, I have met, I've interviewed two people who take groups from Japan. So they do the training in Japan、mm-hmm. and they take groups back to Italy or back to Spain and they, they help coordinate the tour in that country. But they do the training part in Japan. And I think that also has potential.、Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're, you're busy enough with what you're doing.、Um, but maybe in the future, you know, these kind of collateral. Engagement across countries, not a bad、oh, yeah. idea. I'm open to any kind of collaboration. Then, will I do it in my name or will I do it in the name of the company and taking charge of everything? That's a different story. Right, right.、Um, but it's, it's great to meet another professional like you, Remy, who's also doing training、uh, in Japan with Japanese people、mm-hmm. to get them comfortable in talking with visitors and engaging on that more personal level. That's what、yeah. I've been really focused on with doing guide training. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's something that there seems to be a real gap in Japan with not, not being a guide that just speaks to the crowd and is a top down approach, but really having that level engagement, like getting to know each other for real、yeah. on an interpersonal relationship. And I think that that is a real key point for quality guiding and quality engagement for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I believe so. And I think it comes from my background as a teacher because it helps really connecting with people you're talking to.、Um, I used to be a, an English teacher for kindergarten for a while,、um, primary school as well. And essentially in the evening, because that's the busiest time of the day, you know what I'm talking about? It's a lot of Eikaiwa, the English conversation school. So you have really to, they're usually adults, you know,、um, business people, workers who want to practice English after office work. And in that case, it's not about teaching, it's more about communicating and t- interacting with your,、um, uh, your students. So, if you cannot create a connection, it's never going to work. So,、yeah. that kind of thing really teaches us how to connect with people we just met as guides. And we, I, I believe that it's very important to create that connection as soon as possible to make sure that they will be connected to you and they will feel like you are more than a guide. As yeah, I say, absolutely. As I say, when you guide people, You start with a guy and you, you live with a friend. That's the best feeling、uh, ever because you felt like you created something real through the experience. Absolutely. And it, it connects on, on many different levels. Like a guide is not only someone who's going to tell you history and heritage. Sure, they're going to know that information if you're interested.、Mm-hmm. But I love that you also,、uh, like on the YouTube channel, you're introducing about Japanese bread. So, as a European coming to Japan, what do you think about Japanese bakeries and bread? It seems like you're a fan. Well, that's, that's a very sensitive question. <laughs> I, well, <clears throat> I believe that there are different types of bread depending on the country. Of course, the an bread, anpan, is、uh, a Japanese style bread. I would not be able to compare it to French because they are very two different styles. This is a style that is owned by Japan. Um, do I like, like regularly, do I like baguettes, the French bread in Japan? No, I do not.、Uh, I, re- I choose my bakery.、Uh, full disclosure, I have a bakery not far from my house, and I checked many bakeries around and I found that one which I liked, but the bread was a little bit too overbaked for me. So I talked to the, to the baker and I said, like,、um, Could you take the, when I, when I want to buy a bread, Can I call you the, the day before and can you take like the number of baguettes out of the oven 15 minutes, like 20 minutes before 
for me. He said, okay, no problem. Just let me know how many baguettes. And now I have my bakery and they bake in the morning the way I want. That is amazing. I'm That's pretty amazing. sure I'm the only you one. Know, that there, is, there is no harm in asking. You know, exactly. it's amazing. Asking is free. You have the only risk you have is to be said no. So what? You tried. If you try and it doesn't work, doesn't work but if you and don't if you, ask, if you, don't you do it. it if you do it with a humble heart and you do it with a it's okay if it can't be done uh in japan that works really well right exactly. not not saying yes. can you like pressure or aggressive no, no. Uh, a very friendly nice it, it's okay if it can be done but would it be possible you know that kind of humble right. approach works I really well people say you know like uh, the customer is the king i do not think so i think it's just mutual respect and the most important is that, of course, in those kind of situations, I have to speak Japanese exclusively because I don't speak English. Um, and I mean, I'm sure you understand my point of view because um, you speak probably you probably speak a very very good Japanese and you, you're native in, in English. Uh, when you switch language, you switch personality. You become a different person. I mean, when I'm when I speak Japanese, I'm extremely nice. I'm very polite. I'm very humble. And when I switch back to French, I'm one of the rudest person you can hear, probably. So. Well, you sound pretty nice in English too, Rebi. Well, that's nice. That's amazing to hear. Um, but I did notice on your YouTube channel the number one most watched video so far is all about melon pan. Yes. Um, but I think as guides, as local guides, it's you know this is part of our appeal that we can show you the the deep insights of the local area that you uh, will not expect and you will never find from just online information, right? Yes, that's right. I'm a foodie, so when I like something, I want to find the best. And to, to, to date, that company has the best melon bread for me. And uh, I know that this is something that most people don't know about it. And the only one they know about is the uh, regular yellow sweet one. Nothing really special about that. Um, so when I, I realized that I have some time during the pandemic, I had some free time to create some videos, some content, I decided to make that one and no regrets because I had to buy everything and then to eat everything. So very happy. <laughs> and another really bespoke relationship, which you, you've built up over time is with, uh, knife makers and uh, knife workshops. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. That is actually the experience that takes the longest to, to set not because of the content, but because of the connections we needed to create such a very special experience. The difference is we don't take people to a touristic spot. We don't take people not even to a local shop. We take people to a working company environment. When we watch people working, like they are, they are literally working their full-time job and they're expert in their domain. And with the different connections I have, uh, in Sakai, I was given the chance to meet the president of uh, the Yamawaki Cutlery Company, Mr. Yamawaki himself. Uh, this company has been going for over 100 years, uh, never changed name, always a Yamawaki uh, as a president. And uh, that's really what made that, uh, that experience very special. It took us nearly two years to create uh, trust and now they trust us. It's um, it, it, I have to say it was not easy, and it still has a lot of restrictions, such as the number of days you can uh, you can we can actually welcome people for the experience, which is only twice a week. Uh, but 
we are the only one they agreed on doing this because a few weeks ago we had a, a small group of people living in Japan willing to take that experience and we said our we are sorry it's like New Year's they are closed we cannot uh, we cannot open the, the experience because well they are not open so we are closed basically and they said oh don't worry we're gonna ask them directly and then they call us back saying like uh, Mr. Lopez we had a call we we only accept you to contact us nobody else because they want to keep that trust alive and they want to show us uh, respect by not going around us which is very very nice and every it, time it shows it shows that they trust you and that yes. that's something that's so important and really takes a long time very in Japan much. and then as a guide one of the advantages for visitors is they will not be able to have that experience on their own but also through you the local workshop people the local craftspeople they trust the visitor because they're with you and yes. that's another added value yes the very big difference between that experience and any other uh, in the area osaka sakai kyoto maybe is that you can also purchase knives what well, we teach you how to sharpen a knife which actually build your confidence about being able to take care of your knives when you get home because most people buy knives and after a few weeks or after a few months says it doesn't cut anymore yeah you have to sharpen it the right way and if you don't do it of course a knife is not going to last you but if we provide you the basic skills to be able to take care of that knife on your own then if you buy knives you know you will be able to take care of them and to well keep them sharp uh, for a lifetime and I, I did a knife a knife workshop uh, where we got to make a little bit of the knife yes. in the hot fire. That was pretty awesome. And then he sharpened it for us and then uh, gave it to us as a present. But unfortunately, there's no handle. So I'm, I'm not able to use it until I take it now to a handle maker. Yeah. Um, but it looks like your experience includes everything, every part that you need to yes. use it, but also the skill to know how to sharpen it yourself. That's right. Uh, which I think is awesome. That's a great experience. Yeah. The only part we couldn't cover was the uh, the blacksmith because the, those people are very, very busy and very, uh, very private. They don't really like people to watch their techniques because it's quite, uh, you know, uh, authentic and uh, kind of a, kept a secret for many things all around there. When it's all about craft and traditions, they are very private and they don't like to share, especially not with non-Japanese non people. So the blade are coming directly from the blacksmith. They're not ready yet, but then we take them to the sharpening station, which is the first place we go to see the, the, the raw blades being ready to be uh, to start looking like uh, proper blades. Then we go to the main building when we can see uh, the handle and the blade being put together and sharpen again to make sure everything's fine. Then we have the um, engraver to be able to uh, put anything you want on the blade, as long as it's um, Japanese characters, uh, katakana or kanjis, which have straight lines. No hiragana, which is too curvy. Can I just ask, is he engraving now in this picture with a hammer and what looks like a, a nail? Yes, they do. That's yeah. incredible. They have dozens of different nails uh, with a different pattern at the end to be able to create different uh, characters or sometimes even just a full stamp of the company and they have to hammer really hard to make sure that it's properly done on, on the first hit. And um, after that, we take you upstairs to a very specific meeting room. They uh, get ready for us when we, uh, when we have a booking coming. 
we teach you how to sharpen the knife properly. And at the end, the best is that because we are at the office, they can make anything on demand downstairs. So you can choose the handle, the type, the type of wood, the, the size of the handle. Uh, you can choose any blade you want, uh, basic or Damascus uh, or even very long ones. Everything is displayed in the, th in, in the meeting room and it's basically a life-size catalog. You just, we call someone, especially for you, they take care of you, they write everything you want. We stay here to do the translation to make sure nothing's lost and no mistake is made. And then, um, yeah, you see, you accept the price, you pay, and they make it right away. Um, and of course, it depends on how big the order is. But the very, very good point is that you get one of the top quality knife in the country for the wholesale price, and you don't have anyone in the middle taking a commission. So it feels cheap, but the quality isn't. That's I have a, a very practical question. Yes. Is it is it easy for people to take knives home through uh, through their absolutely. luggage? Officially, knives are uh, you know um, cooking. Uh, it's it's for cooking. It's not a weapon, even though you can probably easily kill someone with it. But um, as long as the the knife is uh, properly put in your checking luggage, uh, not in a carry on, of course, everything's fine. You don't, you don't need a certificate. You don't need any special authorization to take uh, the knives out of the country. It's fine. Uh, last year in August, we had uh, just a family of three, two parents and a son coming, and they they really wanted to buy knives, and they contacted us and they said, okay. Uh, you sold us. We booking. So they booked. On the day they came, they were thrilled. They loved it. And in the end, they went home with twenty one knives. Twenty one, which is was which was a little bit too big to be made in the morning. So we left, uh, and within forty eight hours, the knives were delivered directly to their hotel. So if you have a very big order, we do not recommend you to. Uh, to join our experience at the last day of, of your trip, depending on how much knives you would you might buy. Uh, but they can deliver everything within 48 hours in Japan, not overseas. Wow, that has great service. Um, I, I took a group of university students to Australia, and I remember because it was a, a one-month program, yeah. and one of the students had a big kitchen knife in her checked luggage. And mm -hmm. I was surprised. Everybody was surprised. Um, but the, the import... Um, people checking the luggage, they're like, oh, we see kitchen knives all the time. It's not a big deal. That's and I was really surprising. surprised. And they said, well, from Japan, Japan knives are so famous. Of they course, are. she wants her own cooking knife. Yeah. So 25 knives. I, I bet the person inspecting that bag might have been a bit surprised, though. Well, it was divided <laughs> in two suitcases. But the biggest surprise was that uh, so three days later, they received all the knives. And then and the day after... I received an email from them, of course, thanking us for such an amazing experience. The quality was amazing, but it was so good. When they opened the packet, they saw all the knives. They contacted me again and saying, oh, Remy, um, can I can I um, push a little bit and ask you for more knives? We it's so good, and we know it's going to be once in a lifetime. We'd like to buy more for our friends and families. So in the end, I coordinated everything, and I was the person in the middle to make sure everything was fine. And they ordered uh, nine extra knives to the company. With uh, I took care of taking, uh, I took charge of all translation for the engraving spe uh, specificities, everything. They asked me for the exact same knife by nine, which is a way more simple way than ordering nine different knives. 
And uh, yeah, so they ordered on a Monday and on Thursday, uh, they received everything and they left on a Friday. So they went home actually not with 21 knives, but with 30 in their suitcases. Oh I don't know the goodness. face the customs made when they opened the suitcase, but it must have been memorable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a comment from uh, Warren tang on linkedin thanks for joining warren uh, maybe i should do countryside tours warren you definitely should uh, warren lives in a beautiful area about an hour and a half outside of hiroshima okay uh, called kono 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 and uh it's been really famous because of jimmy carter oh okay yeah. so a lot of interesting connections with jimmy carter and a peace bell uh, it's always a beautiful area to visit. I went out and saw Warren out there. I think the more of us who are promoting rural travel in Japan and these special experiences where people can really experience Japanese culture, engage with locals, it's so important, you know, and it enhances your whole trip. It's not just about seeing the most famous sites for your Instagram posts or whatever, right? <laughs> It's that's not you might be happy that you have that photo, but you can see those photos online. You can't have these personal experiences yeah. uh, in those busy, busy spots. Right. That is correct. Yes. And usually I have to admit that most of the time the, the picture on Internet looks better. Now, your main uh, tours. Oh, it's great to have Louise Puppy from YouTube as well. Thanks for joining, Louise. Now, Louise is based in Auckland, New Zealand, but she often brings groups over to Japan and uh, does a variety of tours. So you have to check out some of Remy's tours in Osaka and Nara and Sakai. You've got some great areas. Uh, so your main tours are the cycling and walking tours, right, Remy? Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, well, that's actually the first activities we created in um, uh, in Nara City, which is where we started. I wanted to be able to get the best out of Nara in even half a day and to save a lot of time for people uh, because we found out that most people don't stop in Nara for the night. They usually come at, uh, either from Osaka or Kyoto and they just think they can do everything in one day on foot which is extremely hard. So I created essentially two tours, very important and very different. The first one is called the Nara Highlights. So the Highlights is the equivalence of one day walking, but we do it in about three, three and a half hours. So then it gives you time to go for lunch and then go back and see again what you, uh, what you like the most and maybe dig deeper inside. Or you can start exploring the south part of the old town uh, which you wouldn't have time to do if you were on foot, because what we do on the bike takes the whole day anyway if you don't have a bike. The second one is something, it's actually my favorite tour. It's not the most famous, like the second most popular tour, but it is something that we do not uh, do very often for now, and it, we have to be a bit more careful. It's called the heart of nature. We take you to a knife shop, uh, which over 750 years old of history, uh, but then, right after that, on the way down to Kasukatesha Shrine, we don't go to the shrine, we turn left to a trail, mountain trail, with the bikes we have, and we take you to the top of Wakakusayama to observe the whole city from a very, very high, uh, very high spot. And then we dig inside Kasugayama uh, Primeval Forest to show you some lost temples and shrine in the mountain that even most Japanese don't know about and don't remember. 
with some very amazing stories, such as the carved stones uh, from Buddhism. And that story is just a mystery. And uh, it's kind of a mystical uh, aspect to that, um, let's say, that experience deep inside the old uh, forests of, uh, of Nara city, Nara prefecture, I would say, more than the city. Uh, it looks amazing. And I love how you combine like your uh, knife tour. You still have sweets shops that you stop at along the way yes. and then um, introduce like more Japanese style sweets, which I think actually it's kind of hard to figure out when you're coming from the outside, unless you have someone to guide you through and say, listen, the benefit of Japanese sweets, it's gluten free, it's vegan. <laughs> Everybody can eat it. It has mm -hmm. less sugar than conventional Western sweets. Yes. Often there's very little packaging involved, so it's more sustainable, less waste that way too. Yeah. In traditional um, stores, usually yeah. have a tiny piece of paper uh, wrapping the thing and that's it. You can take it that, that way, which is always what we appreciate. We ask for no plastic bag to limit the plastic waste. As I said, we like to do this. Um, and uh, you mentioned the knife shop and the sweets. It's actually combined in one tour where we take... Uh, in the knife factory and craft, you can see on the right, what we do, we take people not just to a knife shop, but to uh, show them more than that, especially um, traditional craft, including the, the original mochi with cinnamon, back to the days uh, when uh, the Portuguese arrived in Japan. And uh, they introduced uh, cinnamon in the first place. And cinnamon was used as a medicine, you know, to fight uh, stress and cold a little bit, you know, coughing. But most Japanese couldn't take their cinnamon because it was too strong. They didn't like the flavor. It was way too much. And even the, especially the kids, they didn't want to. So Japanese uh, decided to create a very specific mochi, like a daifuku, with a cinnamon an, a cinnamon paste inside. And that place we take people to is the original one that um, in the first place uh, created that mochi over 200 years ago and that place never moved the the, the the building itself is over 200 years old and it was a family business for over 12 generations and uh, if you're familiar with Kyoto a little bit you know everybody knows usually when you stop here you have a lot of mochi triangle called Yatsuhashi well the original Yatsuhashi is actually not chocolate, strawberries, or even green tea. It's cinnamon because the Yatsuhashi was created with the assistance of that shop in Nara, providing the cinnamon and teaching them how to make the right mix to create the original Yatsuhashi. Though that shop is the origin of the Yatsuhashi as well because they helped them creating it. So historically speaking, but also traditionally speaking, it's extremely interesting before going to the knife shop, but oh, the knife the knife company, sorry. But also you can get to taste one because it's included in the tour. So to me, it's by far the best I've ever had. And uh, I tried to get, you know, access inside to watch them making it. And I said, sorry, uh, we like you coming, but this is secret. We don't show it to anyone, not even the professionals, share that. This is actually a very well-kept secret for over 200 years. They do not share it with anyone, not even with the government. 
That's so interesting. But the secrets are part of the charm of many places in Japan, right? Like I'll, I'll do guided tours to temples where they have treasures that they tell you about, but they never show anyone, <laughs> right? So just knowing that that secret treasure is there or that secret style of making something or that secret recipe that makes it really enticing right you, secrets are are more exciting you don't want to know everything in life do you yeah that's part of the, that's part of the beauty of japan because they uh when you join such an experience like that you feel even more privileged that you have the opportunity to taste something that most people will not because they don't know where it is and even if you don't know the secret it's kind of a a nice feeling to know that what you have in your hands is a mystery and will never be really revealed to you. It's um, yeah, it's kind of a seducing secret that you like the fact that you are having access to something that is kept secret, even though you will never know that secret. You have access to the finished product, and you can always talk about it. You can, exactly. you can say, oh, "I wonder if they used cinnamon or how they used cinnamon in this ancient secret recipe." It's still mm -hmm. very exciting. Uh, just a shout out to Pamela on Facebook. Great to see you here, Louise on YouTube, and Lynn Melville Ray on LinkedIn. Wonderful to have you all here today. Mm. Um, talking a little bit more about uh, the bespoke tours, kind of the interesting behind the scenes tours in Nara. Now, I wanted to point out about Nara Deer. Okay. I had I had a lesson yesterday on my online course uh, for tour guides talking about using animals and sustainable tourism. And uh, in Hiroshima, we have Miyajima Island with the deer. Yes. Uh, we also have Rabbit Island. Uh, we also oh, have yes. Onomichi's Donkey Donkey Paradise. Right. We have a few different animal attractions, um, but. We also want to have respect for the animals, right? Mm -hmm. Like to make sure the animals are well taken care of. And one of the charms of Nara deer is they bow to you, right? <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, they bow. Depends how old they are. The young ones, they don't really care. And the old ones bow even before you, you hand them the cookie or they even see it because they just want to say, give it to me. But um, yeah, that's a very old story, actually. As uh, you might be aware of, the Kasuga spirit came uh, in a form of riding a white deer, which is the illustration, which is why now the deer are worshipped in Nara, because they are like the representation of the spirit. And um, the bowing is actually based on a different story, what I've heard. Um, it's a very, very old story of the hunter that was uh, carrying his bow and arrow, in the forest to find some food and he saw a deer so he started to target the deer to be able to get his food of course and then he witnessed to what was to him the perfect uh, perfect scene he he thought it was majestic almost divine and the deer started to look at him to stare at him and they stayed staring at each other for a few seconds and the hunter then decided to lower his weapon and to let the deer go and he bowed the sign of respect to say i'm sorry for trying to kill you and to give his respect back the deer looked at looked at him and bow in return and then just left in peace and that is the original story of the bowing to, for mutual respect of course nowadays it's more about giving cookies but uh they do they do bow uh and it's uh, mind-blowing because most people don't know about the bowing 
trick in Nara. So when we tell them and when we show it to them live, they can't wait to try it. And they are just stunned by the fact that they are actually bowing. That's a great story. I love that story about being kind to animals and choosing your vegetarian vegan options when you travel in Japan. Please ask for it. Uh, more <laughs> sustainable as well. Um, but in Hiroshima on Miyajima Island, we actually used to have deer senbei and they stopped it because the deer were becoming very aggressive. Oh, about taking the food. So now what they've done is they actually feed the deer uh, healthy natural food in the forest mm. in the morning and evening. So you'll see the deer staying in the morning and eating their natural breakfast in the forest and then coming down to the tourist areas to maybe get some scraps or snack foods that people drop. And then in the evening, you see them going back to the forest because they know they're going to get fed there. Um, so that might be something Nara wants to think about as well, because I've I've heard from visitors in Nara that the deer are sometimes aggressive with the senbei. It's uh, always tricky. I wouldn't say aggressive. That would be a bit too strong of a word. Um, they pinch you sometimes, though, because <laughs> usually you have one person getting cookies and you've got like quickly uh, over five or six deer approaching. And it could be a bit overwhelming and some people panic a little bit, especially the kids. But... Uh, I have to be honest, it's really hilarious to watch. But, yeah. um, but make sure you keep your real pass or any papers or money hidden because uh, we've had cases uh, yeah. in Hiroshima where they've eaten people's real passes. <laughs> you, will not, you will not be able to use that excuse at JR. They will not believe yeah. you. <laughs> you know what they do sometimes, the deer, they just push you a little bit you know, with their head to say, I'm here, I'm the one you should feed, not the others. Or if um, if they don't see you, especially from behind, they would pinch you. They would slightly just bite you a little bit uh, on the cheek, I would say. And um, yeah, some people are surprised, but they don't get hurt. Not 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 at all. Oh, that's uh, good. I got to the group that's yesterday. And asked two kids. They bought like five packs of cookies. They really had a great time. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, I think that's like anything with sustainability, right? You always have to have that ongoing assessment. Uh, does it look okay? Is it fairly safe? The animals look healthy. Uh, the people don't feel scared if the animals get aggressive, right? And then just keep reassessing how we can improve. Mm. And uh, definitely important for tourism as well as any business looking for more sustainable options. Definitely. And <laughs> uh, now some of the other interesting things uh, you were talking about, Takeda Castle. I'd never heard of Takeda Castle. Oh, that one. Yes. Takeda Castle is called, by Japanese, it's called the uh, Japanese Machu Picchu. This is, uh, if I remember, it's uh, in, um, in Hyogo Prefecture near the city of Asago. And uh, actually most of the most of the best pictures you can find were not taken from the ruins, but you have to go to a different mountain to have the, 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 the global view of the ruins on the opposite mountain. Uh, it's really beautiful, and especially if you're lucky enough, in the morning you have the, you have the clouds just, um, just under the, the ruins level, so it makes, makes it look like floating in the sky. It is really beautiful, but I have to say that I went there with my friends on, by bicycle, so, of course, road bike, not what we call Mamachari, would be way too far. Uh, it was like a 160Ks ride for one way. Uh, and it was actually a very pleasant ride. The problem is it rained like crazy on the second day. So we were very happy that uh, our wives 
were coming with us, but driving the car. So we all went home with a car. <laughs> Support vehicles, very nice part of long cycle tours for sure. Um, but that that's very true of like Mount Fuji as well. A lot of people come to Japan, they think I want to hike Mount Fuji, um, but are disappointed because the most beautiful view around Mount Fuji is looking at Mount Fuji. So when you're on Mount Fuji, you're not having that great view as much. Uh, so definitely go to the Mount Fuji area. Um, but it's beautiful to look at. And I, I think there's a few places like that around Japan. I really yeah. want to visit. That looks amazing. Yeah, there is. There, there are a few different spots. But from my own point of view, as I've done both, uh, I have to say that I, I really enjoyed climbing up to the Mount, to, to Mount Fuji. Uh, there is a spot, if you're talking about uh, outside point of view, I would say that my favorite ever is Hakone. Uh, when you go to the top of the mountain in Owakudani, the, uh, the view is really, really, really gorgeous because you can see all the forests around as well. Uh, you can also go to the Isar Kawaguchiko, which is really, really gorgeous as well with the pagoda, the very famous view with the pagoda, the cherry blossom and the Mount Fuji in the middle. But it has to be extremely specific for the date because you have to go to ring the cherry blossom and you must hope for no clouds around or you won't see the mountain. But when you are on the mountain, you don't care because actually when you have clouds, it's one of the most beautiful thing I've seen on the top. I've taken amazing pictures when you could see the sunrise and coming up the cloud. Um, standing there with my friends at 4.30 in the morning to see the sunrise was really, really one of my best memories. That's awesome. It's definitely worth, especially for places that are busy as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely getting up to a peak and watching sunrise or getting to a temple like in Kyoto, Kiyomizu Dera. Wonderful that they open at 630. That's when you should get there. You yes. should get there as early as possible, right? Because it gets so busy between nine and three. It's incredibly crowded. Um, nice. But yeah, having those those views, getting up early, making it worth it. Those are awesome. Now, as a cycle guide, cycle tours, uh, we have a new rule coming in in April about mandatory helmets and yes. insurance. Does this affect how you're doing the cycle tours at all? Not really. No, no, no. we do have helmets, hel enough helmets for everyone. But until now, uh, the rules was about um, if you're 13 years old or younger, you have to wear a helmet. If you are 14 or more, well, first of all, we have to ask your parents. And if you are an adult, of course, we just ask you, do you want one or not? Now, the only difference is that we tell people about the new, the new rule and we tell them, sorry, guys, you have to wear a helmet. It doesn't matter how old you are, please wear one. We have everything. Just uh, we are giving you one and keep it on when you ride a bike. That's the only, the only difference. Um, yeah, I think there's no, nothing really that, that makes it really different. Some people actually wear a hat, especially in winter, you know, they have a hat to, to keep it uh, warm or they're wearing a cap, but a cap is not that thick. So you still can wear the helmet on top of it. It's not really, it doesn't make a big difference to me. Yeah, I think it's it's to err on the side of safety uh, for cycle tours. It's not a bad thing. Uh, you did mention that uh, you encourage people to ride on the road with yeah. traffic. So you you need a little time to get them used to that. Is that right? Yes. Uh, in the morning, what we do, we, we specify everything about how we're going to ride the bike because riding in Japan is not about riding in any other country because, first of all, we ride on the left. From a French point of view, it's, it was a small adjustment. 
and also the brakes are the opposite, which is why uh, in my country the back uh, brakes are on the right and the front are on the left. In Japan, it's the opposite. The front is the is the right. Uh, yeah, the front is on the right and the back is on the left. First of all, you have to remember that you should hit both brakes um, not too hard to make sure you keep control of your bike, which is extremely important. But also, we tell people that officially, according to the rule, bicycles are like cars. We have to keep riding on the road because we cannot officially uh, take the risk to s cycle on narrow um narrow path on the side of the road because, well, you have pedestrians walking around and they are supposed to be there. We are not. So let's stay with the cars. But we tell them that Japanese drivers are usually extremely careful. They take their time. They do not panic. They do not get stressed. If they're behind you, do not get stressed. Do not step away. Stay in your way. Just don't stay in the middle of the road. It takes the space you should take on the left. And they will wait for the right timing to go over you without bothering you and, and by keeping a safe safe distance. So we just make people feel very fine and we tell them beforehand that we're going to be on the road just for a short time actually to reach the main area of Nara and then we try as much as we can to stay inside the parks or to stay in the um, mostly low, uh, very low driving areas to make sure that we avoid most of the most of traffic. But to reach uh, to, from our bike base to the to the main area, so the, both ways go and round trip. Uh, we spent a few minutes on the road, but uh, yesterday I guided the f a small family of four with uh, eight-year-old daughter and a ten-year-old boy, and everything went fine. They, uh, they they didn't stress at all. As long as you get people ready before, you give them a few minutes to try out the bikes to make sure everybody's comfortable with it, and. You are very strict. You're very clear about safety. There's no, nothing to be worried about. Yeah. And I, I think uh, back streets are your friend, right? You can usually avoid the big traffic streets uh, yes. with back streets, which are often too narrow for your cars mostly. So they're a lot more quiet. You have to be careful of people walking, of course, but um, even walking tours, I always suggest taking the back street, which is often more interesting, less crowded, less cars too, right? Yes, less crowded, less cars. Then you see kind of a more residential areas. So you can see like regular old and new houses. And it's always more, much more quiet. So you can really enjoy your time walking around without all the traffic noise. And you can easily walk and talk to each other at the same time because you have no pressure, no stress, and you don't have to stay in a single single uh, single line yeah now i'm just showing uh we've got a few more minutes left i'm yeah. showing your website uh would you encourage people to reach out and and contact and reserve directly through the website uh yes of course i believe that for two reasons uh, number one uh when we deal through an intermediate such as you know otas uh, they take a commission, so it's not it's not ideal for us either. But it's a good way of being visible on the on the web. On the web, we understand that there's nothing we can do uh, to to lower the, that kind of a commission. But if you book through us directly, the best thing is that the communication is much easier, uh, especially when you are when people are getting late or they miss the train, so they will be late to the meeting point. And especially when it's an open tour, and uh, other travelers are sharing the same time slot. The problem comes from the fact that when people don't show up, 
uh, and they even send us a message. It takes me between 10, 15, 20 minutes for that message to get to us. But if you book with us directly, you can contact us directly by email or even by phone, WhatsApp, uh, Facebook, uh, many other different ways. So as when you have a problem, just let us know right away. The guide will be notified within seconds and it's going to work much more you know, smoothly. That's a really good point. And uh, I think the it's great to have the wider net of audience availability and mm -hmm. accessibility through yes. those uh, big platforms like TripAdvisor and other booking agencies. But in terms of communicating with your guides, being on WhatsApp is so helpful, right? You have that immediate messaging option back and forth with guides and guests. Yes, we set everything in multiple apps. Uh, focusing on Asia, and especially Japan, we, div we, um, we created the, the communication directly with Line that you're definitely familiar with. But when we think about our most important audience, uh, they are coming from overseas, which is usually focusing on WhatsApp. So we also created the WhatsApp contact. The hotline is reachable uh, very easily. You just enter our phone number mentioned on the website and done. It's extremely easy and it's very helpful when you want to communicate us uh, something like a pressing, an emergency, uh, a last minute request, or maybe uh, we're sorry, we're going to be 10 minutes late. Fine, we're going to wait for you for 10 minutes. But if you tell us 10 minutes before, we will get the message five, maybe 10 minutes after you are already late, which is a very, a very annoying point. Yeah, it's frustrating for both customer and and guide host, right? Very much, Definitely. yes. Especially because when they send the message, it takes time to be uh, sent it to us. But then the time we reply, you multiply by two, which means between the time they send the message and the time we, and the time they get our reply to make like a confirmation, yeah, okay, we're gonna be, we're gonna be waiting for you. That would take between twenty and thirty minutes. Wow. That's way too late. For the information to, to go both ways. Yeah. So that's the biggest problem is the time be to, uh, to, to be notified. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Remy. So much great information today. And it's so great connecting with you. And uh, I hope people will check out japantouradventure.com and uh, find out more about your tours. Uh, you also talked about training lots more guides so that you can cover. It's quite a big area uh, that you're trying to cover many tours in. Uh, you're in the Kansai area, so Nara, Osaka, and Kyoto, right? Yes. We released uh, two products, two experiences, uh, walking experiences in Kyoto. And we are now uh, working on a very new type of experience. All our experiences will be designed with different categories like wheelchair accessible um, or something we've been working on, JR Pass friendly, to make sure people know that they don't have to spend a single extra yen or they don't have to check, uh, they don't have to carry any cash for transportation besides their JR Pass. They know they will be covered just with that unique ticket. They usually activate from Tokyo when they come which is a huge relief for most of our travelers, I believe. Yeah, awesome. And in Hiroshima as well, you can use your JR Pass uh, to get the ferry to Miyajima, to get the local trains, yeah. and to get a sightseeing bus. So quite often there's extra perks along the way if you have that JR Pass. It's a yes. great 
great foundation for your transportation in Japan, for sure. Yes, I went to Miyajima last year in September and I was really surprised and very positively surprised to see the JR Pass was actually covering everything to Miyajima, even the ferry. Yeah, if you take the JR ferry, there's another rival, but yeah, you can. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much, Remy, and uh, thanks for sharing all your insights. And uh, everybody, please check out the website. Uh, thanks so much. We've got someone on YouTube saying, I'll check the site right now. Fantastic. Have a great, great day, great everyone. Thank you again, Remy. Thank you, Joy. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Have a great day. You all seem like such nice people. It's truly my pleasure to make your company. Some of our paths may diverge over the years. All of you left a certain mark on me. It's all working out so far.